Hebrews chapter 12, starting at verse number one. When you got it, say, yeah. yeah. If you're still looking for it, say, how down? <laughs> awesome. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. What an awesome thought to consider, that God has set a race before each and every one of us, and we're required to run that race. How do we do it? The writer of Hebrews tells us, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Can you say amen? amen. And then just to add an addendum to this, I want to look at 1 Samuel 18, verses 5 through 9. And I'm reading from Eugene Peterson's message translation. And it says, whatever Saul gave David to do, he did it and did it well. So well that Saul put him in charge of his military operations. Everybody, both the people in general and Saul's servants, approved of and admired David's leadership. As they returned home after David had killed the Philistine, the women poured out of all of the villages of Israel, singing and dancing, welcoming King Saul with tambourines, festive songs, and lutes. I'm not really sure what a lute is, but I'm assuming it's like a flute without the F. And <laughs> profound, I know. And it says, in playful frolic, in playful frolic, you know it's a party when people are frolicking, okay? In playful frolic, the women sang, Saul kills by the thousand, David by the ten thousand. Ooh, and this... This made Saul feel some type of way. This, this made him angry, very angry. He took it as a personal insult. He said, huh, they credit David with ten thousands, but me with only thousands? Before you know it, they'll be giving him the kingdom. And from that moment on, Saul kept his eye on David. I want you just for a moment, and don't count this as my preaching time. I don't mean to preach before I preach. But I want you to see these two verses just for a moment in parallel, okay? Because here we have the writer of Hebrews who says there is, in fact, a race that's been set before each and every one of us, and you run that race by keeping your eyes on who? On Jesus. But here we have Saul, because these ladies drop a mixtape that simply goes, Saul, you killed your thousands, but David, his tens of thousands, as soon as they compared him to David took his eyes off of his race, and the Bible says, fixed his eyes on to David. I, I want to preach uh, a little while tonight just from this subject, On Their Mark. If you're taking notes, that's the title of my thoughts tonight, On Their Mark. I realize when you're running a race, they say, get on your mark, but I'm finding many people cannot run the race God has set before them because they have their eyes on the people in the lanes beside them. So instead of being on your mark, you're on is going to be so good, so, so good tonight. Come on, let's pray before we go into this word. God, I thank you for the power that is in your word. God, I know the grass withers, the flower fades, but your word shall stand forever. Speak to us tonight. Holy Spirit, saturate this place. We did not come to the El Rey Theater to be entertained. God, we have come to be drastically changed. Speak to us and let us leave different than the way we came in. And somebody who loves Jesus, say amen. amen. Say amen again. Quick little uh, sermonic survey before we delve into this tonight. How many of you, uh, just by a showing of hands, would say that you like to work out? You enjoy exercise? Can I see your hand? 
Wow, that's a lot of hands. This is the healthy group right here <laughs> also. How many of you would say by a showing of hands, you don't like to work out, you don't enjoy exercise? Let me see your hand. Come on, don't lie in church. <laughs> All right, awesome. You can put it down. Uh, those of you, those of you who lifted up your hand the first time, the first time, saying that you like to work out, that you actually enjoy exercise, you are officially dismissed from this service, okay? No, for real, you can leave. As a matter of fact, run home, okay? <laughs> because uh, I have now found some camaraderie and some commonality with the second group of people. Y'all are my people, okay? I will lift up both hands, both feet, tell the truth, and shame the devil, okay? I do not like to work out. There is absolutely nothing in me that finds enjoyment or pleasure in going to the gym. As a matter of fact, I am theologically and physiologically persuaded that having to work out was as a result of the fall of man. Oh, I'm very serious, people. There were no gyms in Genesis, okay? There were no ellipticals in the Garden of Eden, all right? You cannot have Pilates and have paradise. God, in his infinite wisdom and his omnipotent power, created us as perfectly perfect beings. Perfectly perfect. That means Adam had biceps. He had triceps. Uh, he didn't have a one-pack. He had a six-pack. Uh, ladies, Eve had 0% body fat. 0%. Some of y'all are like, nah, Robert, what's your scripture for that? I'll give you some scripture. The Bible says, the Bible says, watch this, they were both naked and unashamed. Come on, somebody. You only walk around naked if you got it going on. I'm telling you. It was not until they took of the forbidden fruit that sin and calories entered into the world. So... I don't like to work out. I don't like to work out, but I do work out. I do work out. And the reason I do what I hate is because of what I love, which is to eat, okay? Come on, somebody. I love to eat. This is the last day of the fast. I am a much better eater than I am a faster, okay? Don't hate on me. That is my spiritual gift. So whenever I go to the gym, whenever I go to the gym, I actually like to lift. I love to lift weights. There is something manly about putting on Old Spice and lifting iron, okay? I like to lift, but how many know lifting does not burn the calories? Doesn't burn the calories. You have to do cardio, which means you have to engage in an evil three-letter word called run. People, this is my issue, okay? I hate to run. I despise running. I cannot articulate to you how much I hate to run, okay? I hate that run rhymes with fun because there was nothing fun to me about running, okay? Whenever I do run, I convince myself I have asthma just so I can stop running, okay? So, like, for me to get on a treadmill is a big deal, and I need a lot of motivation. I need a Nike, just do a T-shirt. I need motivational mu music. I got the eye of a tiger. I need all that just to get on the treadmill. And then once I get on the treadmill, I'll start at a good glacial pace and I'll be going. I'm like, oh, pff, this is easy. <laughs> this is awesome. I've been running for like 30 minutes. Then I look at the screen and it's like three minutes. I'm like, my asthma, I can't do this. Okay, I'm going to die <laughs> today. So I I've developed this, this mechanism as motivation to keep running. True story. As I'm running on the treadmill, wanting to give up, wanting to throw in the towel, I will just slowly look to the right. And then I'll look to the left and I will just peruse the aisle of other people who are running on the treadmill. And what I'm doing is I'm looking for somebody, anybody, a much older than me body. And once I find that random person, I will lock my eye in on that person and I will say something to them. Not out loud, but in my mind real loud. I will say to them, Psh, you don't want none. Now, 
let me explain what just happened when I said, Psh, you don't want none. When I said that, unbeknownst to that person, we just entered into a race, okay? Oh, do not act like I'm the only one that does this, okay? Like, as soon as I said that, this workout just got real, okay? As soon as I made that declaration, the entire gymnasium has now been transformed to the 2016 Olympics, and the first person to step off is going home with the silver, and the one that stays on the longest is going home with the gold, and I'm going to get the gold because I'm a child of God, the head not the tail. All we do is win, 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 no matter what. Can I get a witness on a Sunday night at the L. Ray? True story, true story. And it really helps me, it really helps me when the person is right next to me because then I can see their screen and see exactly how fast they're going. So it's even, you know what I'm saying? So like if they're on level six, I'm on level six, point one. If they speed up, I'm going to speed up. If they go on an incline, I'm going to go on an incline. If they stop and take a break, I'm going to stop and take a break. Oh, yes, I'm not going to keep running while they stop and take a break. That's cheating. You can't cheat in the Olympics. This is a global event. So whatever they do, I will do it. Then I'll wait for it. And as soon as they press stop and jump off, I will speed mine up to the fastest level because you got to sprint to the finish line. Then I'll press stop, jump off, grab my towel, say, I got the gold, and rejoice in my sweet victory. I wish I was lying, but I'm being so honest with y'all tonight. So as a matter of fact, this morning, this morning in the hotel, I'm running right on the treadmill and I see this guy and after we finish and I beat him bad and I see him in the hotel lobby afterwards and I said, hey man, how are you? He said, I'm good. How are you? He said, I'm great. In fact, I'm golden, loser. It was awesome. And, uh, <laughs> and you laugh because you know, it's, uh, it's funny. It's, it's comical when you talk about comparing yourself to other people in the gym, comparing yourself to other people when you're doing exercise. But how many you know it's not so funny when you talk about comparing yourself to other people in life. And ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, what I'm afraid tonight's message mandates is that you introspectively ask the critical question, who are you racing? Who are you racing? I'm just wondering who in your life have you set your eye on and you are running your race according to their pace instead of fixing your eyes on Jesus and running the race he called you to run, chasing after the purpose and the assignment that God has put on your life before the foundation of the earth. I just came to warn you tonight that the comparison game is a dangerous game to play. I don't know whether you notice or not when you're running on a treadmill, which is another reason why I hate running. Have you noticed on the treadmill you're doing a lot of movement? A lot of breathing, a lot of sweat, but you ain't going anywhere. You're in the exact same position the entire time. What a beautiful metaphor for comparing yourself to other people. Because whenever you compare yourself to somebody else, all you end up doing is exerting a lot of psychological, emotional, and spiritual energy trying to keep up and compete with somebody you were never called or created to be. And at the end of all of it, you realize, I'm in the exact same position I was when I started. Ooh. I'm preaching better than y'all are talking in here tonight. As a matter of fact, I'm afraid I have more message than I have minutes because I'm just exercising something that a great mentor of mine told me that I'll never forget. He said, Robert, when you preach, if you'll just preach from your weakness, you'll never lack for material to preach. Preaching from my weakness tonight because I found in my own life, as I've been running the race God has set before me, I have an inner proclivity and tendency to look at the people in the lanes beside me. Hear me, I am convinced that comparison is the number one destroyer of destiny. I am convinced that the enemy's number one weapon of mass distraction and mass destruction is to get you to compare yourself to somebody else. It's his number one weapon, because after all, that's what got him kicked out of heaven. 
Satan, Lucifer, you know he used to be on the praise and worship team. It started with comparison. He was created to be a conduit, to be an expression of God's glory. But he starts comparing himself to God and said, I will exalt my throne above the most high. And that's what got him fired and dismissed. And now his job is to kill, steal, and destroy from you and I. And that's exactly what comparison will do. It will kill your joy. It will steal your peace. It will suffocate your sanity. Comparison is the thief of joy. Comparison is like cancer to contentment. I love the Apostle Paul. Uh, he wrote two-thirds of your New Testament. And I love when he starts bringing order and structure to the church at Corinth because he actually warns them and lets them know that comparison is the opposite of wisdom. He says it's antithetical to wisdom. Look at what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 12. Paul says, for we dare not, we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves but they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. Paul says, you are stupid, you are cray-cray, you are foolish if you are comparing yourself to somebody else. And do you know why comparison is not wise? Hear me tonight. Because comparison will consistently cloud the clarity of God's call on your life. Ooh, that was so nice, I'm going to say it twice. Comparison will consistently cloud the clarity of God's call on your life. Meaning if you ever want to be confused about what God's called you to do, then just start comparing yourself to what other people have been called to do. First of all, let's just establish tonight that there has been a call that has been placed on your life. Come on, I hope you know that beyond a shadow of a doubt. If you ain't made a resolution, make a resolution to find out what you have been called to do because there is a call that is on your life. How many know you are not in this earth by accident? You're actually here by God's divine providence because he has a purpose and a calling and an assignment on your life. Come on, check your pulse. If you got a pulse, that pulse is proof positive that God is not through with you yet because there is a call that is on your life. Come on, do you know that you have a call? Not a random call, but a call that is so unique, a call that is so specific, a call that is so idiosyncratic that only you can do the thing that God has put you on this earth to do. Come on, your mama can't do it, your father can't do it, your crazy cousin can't do it. Only you can do the thing that God has called you to do. You do know there's a difference between a career and a calling. A career is what you get paid to do. A calling is the thing you were made to do. It's the thing that when you do it, you go, I was born to do this right here. There is a call on your life. Not only that, God has given you everything you need to accomplish that call. Come on, that's good news right there. To know that everything I need to do what God has called me to do, it's already in me. Everything you need to do what God has called you to do, it is already in you. You don't have to look outside of yourself. That means if you were supposed to be taller, guess what? He would have made you taller. If you were supposed to be faster, he would have made you faster. If you were supposed to sing, he would have given you a voice. If you were supposed to be LA's next top model, he would have made you cuter. Hello, somebody. No, I'm playing. If, he, if you were supposed to be black, he would have made you black. If you were supposed to be white, he would have made you white. If you were supposed to be Latino, buenos dias. He would have made you Latino. You got everything you need on the inside of you. Stop complaining to the master about the pieces you didn't get and just start praising him that you're a masterpiece. Come on, somebody. You are a masterpiece. You have been carefully created and meticulously made by a God who is an artist and is so obsessed with you. You are a masterpiece. Ooh, I feel like preaching. My right toe is tingling, but let me calm down and interrupt this regularly scheduled sermon so that you can engage in a verbal exercise. Would you just say this? Say, I, I am a masterpiece. Come on, say it like you believe that thing. Say, I, I am a masterpiece. Come on, say it like you're going to tear up the food truck when we leave here. Come on, say, I, I 
am a masterpiece. I'm telling you, if that got in your heart and in your spirit, it would change the way you walk into a room. It would change the way you hold up your head to know that you are a masterpiece created by an artist who is God. As a matter of fact, if you're really gangster, when you go to work tomorrow, you'll just take you some velvet rope and put it around you. And when people say, why you got that velvet rope? Say, oh, you didn't know? I'm a masterpiece. There was a God that created me. Picasso can't touch him. Leonardo da Vinci has nothing on the God that formed me. I am a masterpiece. I think we need to take a praise break and give God some praise and thank him for making you the way he made you. Oh, come on. That's a cute golf clap. Can you really give God some praise in the El Rey Theater and be thankful that he made you the way he made you? You're a masterpiece. You're a masterpiece. Hear me. That's not just feel-good phraseology. That's not just cute self-help talk. You understand that scripture. You don't believe me? Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 10 says, For we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. That God is a strategic God, and he's already marked out a lane for you to run in. And all you have to do, watch this, all you got to do, stay in your lane and keep your eyes on Jesus. That's all you have to do is stay in your lane and keep your eyes on Jesus. That is my entire message tonight. Stay in your lane and keep your eyes on Jesus. That is all I got. The rest is just fluff. I came all the way from Dallas, Texas to LA to tell you two things. Stay in your lane and keep your eyes on Jesus. That's all I got. That's all I got. That's it. Now, it sounds so simple and it sounds so elementary, but I found that that is the most difficult thing for people to do. Just to stay in their lane and keep their eyes on Jesus. Come on, let's just think practically. Uh, you ever been stuck in traffic? And that's a yes for everybody. Y'all have amazing traffic here in L.A. And isn't it funny when you're stuffing, stuck in traffic? It always feels like the lanes beside you are the ones that are moving faster. And what do you do? You almost wreck your car trying to get in somebody else's lane. And you would have been better off just staying in your lane. God told me to tell you, don't wreck your life trying to get in somebody else's lane. Stay in your lane and keep your eyes on Jesus. Stay in your lane. Your lane. And what a brilliant concept to know that there's a lane that's been marked out for me. Oh, that you have a lane. Like, you know, lanes are comprised of two lines, right? Two lines make a lane. One line here. And one line here, pew, pew, pew. sound effects always make preaching better, okay? <laughs> one line here, pew, pew, pew. and one line here, pew, pew, pew. And, and you have to run within the parameters of the two lines. Yeah. Two lines make a lane. Interestingly enough, every single one of us, we have two destinies. There is a duality to your destiny. One destiny is universal. There's a universal destiny for every believer, and that destiny is this, to become more and more like Jesus every single day. That is the universal destiny of every believer, to be conformed to the image of his dear son, to become more and more like Jesus every day, to think like Jesus, to love like Jesus, to show grace like Jesus, to forgive like Jesus. That is the universal destiny of every believer. If you're sitting in this room tonight going, Duh, what am I supposed to do with my life? I just told you. <laughs> become more and more like Jesus every single day. But you have another destiny, another destiny, and it is not universal, it is unique. And that is you are to become unlike anybody God has ever created. Because when God made you, he broke the mold. Everybody else is already taken. You may as well just be you. Do you, boo-boo. Just do you. So, so every day I wake up, I am running my race with that in mind. Every day I wake up, I'm trying to be more and more like Jesus and unlike anybody God has ever created. More and more like Jesus and unlike anybody God has ever created. And that's how you run your race. Is this helping anybody tonight? 
this is why this is why once you put your faith in Jesus you can never say you're just anything like whatever you do becomes your lane like you can't say I'm just this or just that you can't make comments like oh I'm just a school teacher no you're not just a school teacher you're actually God's representative in the classroom so the classroom can see what does Jesus look like when Jesus teaches a class you can't say, well, well, I'm just a lawyer. No, you're not just a lawyer. You are God's representative in the law field, so the law field can see what does Jesus look like when Jesus takes your case. That's your lane. You say, well, bro, bro, dude, I'm just a barista at Starbucks. Bro, bro, dude, you're not just a barista at Starbucks. You are God's representative at Starbucks, so the coffee world can see what does Jesus look like when he serves a triple grande mocha frappuccino. Wherever you are, that's your lane. I want to hit everybody because somebody's saying, Robert, you ain't talking to me. You ain't talking to me because I'm just a hairstylist. Girl, you are not just a hairstylist. You are God's representative in the hair salon. So the hair salon can see what does Jesus look like when he puts weave and extensions in somebody's hair. Come on, wherever you are, that's your lane. So just get in your lane. Keep your eyes on him because hear me, the day you start running your race like this, whoo, the day you start running your race like this, let me just prophesy to you. <laughs> there is a crash in your future. No wonder Saul had such a huge crash because comparison caused him to fix his eyes on David instead of on his own race. Make no doubt about it, there was a season in Saul's life where he was running his race and he was in his lane. Don't get it twisted. You understand that Saul was the first king of Israel. He was anointed and appointed by God to be king. I love when the Bible starts talking about Saul because the Bible uses very picturesque language. It said that he looked like a king, that he stood a head and shoulders above any other person. In fact, the Bible says he was good looking. Come on, somebody. When the Bible says you're good looking, <laughs> can't nobody tell you you ugly, okay? Nobody. You already tell them. Read the word. You already know. This selfie is for you. So <laughs> he looked like a king and, and God just blessed him to be king. Just blessed him. But I found out you got to be careful with the blessing of God. Because if the brightness of the blessing ever blinds you to the blesser, it is no longer a blessing. It has become a curse. And the brightness of the blessing blinded Saul to the blesser, so much so he was more concerned with being the king than he was with worshiping the king of kings. He was more concerned with keeping his position than he was with chasing after God's presence. So God had to remove the kingship away from him. But there was another young boy out on the hillside of Jerusalem who all he cared about was being in the presence of his God. He didn't care about a title. He didn't care about getting acknowledged. He didn't care about likes on Instagram. All he cared about was being in the presence of his God. Even after his family alienated him and ostracized him and said, just go watch those stanky sheep. He's out there smiling with the stanky sheep with his heart, just singing love songs to his God. Until one day his dad sends him a text message and says, hey, can you go to the battlefield and bring your brothers a ham and cheese sandwich? And when he gets to the battlefield with the ham and cheese sandwich he sees a giant who is big enough to eat hay and dumb enough to enjoy it and he says wait a minute who is this uncircumcised philistine Ooh, i love david he's gangster because that's christian cussing right there okay <laughs> that is classic christian cussing he said who is this mm, uncircumcised philistine he said no i'm not gonna be quiet he's gonna put my god on blast i'm about to knock him out where my slingshot at dog I'm laughing because you should see some of y'all's faces right now. Some of y'all literally looking like, I ain't never read this version before in my life. Let me help you. Let me help you. Okay. That's the NIV. Okay. Negro international version. All right. Dave was like, no, I'm not going to be quiet while he talks about my God. What do you get for knocking this dude out? They said, Dave, you want to know what you get for knocking him out? You're going to get the king's daughter in marriage and you'll never have to pay taxes again in your life. David said, what? Somebody hold my heart. He said, you come at me with sword and spear, but I come at you in the name of the Lord, the God of these armies, whom you 
defiled. This day I will cut off your head and feed your flesh to the wild beasts of the field and the birds of the air. And today the world will know there is a God in Israel. I love it. I love it. It's exactly how David sounded, by the way. 13 sounds like Darth Vader. Anyway, come on, you know the story. You've been around church. He releases that rock from a slingshot, hits Goliath in the forehead. Goliath comes crashing down. And hear me, the day Goliath hit that ground, David rose up. It was a destiny moment. You do know that all moments in your life are not created equal, that this was a destiny moment. In fact, I prayed before we walked into this service that this would be a destiny moment for somebody in here tonight where everything changes, where in a moment, in a flash, this was a destiny moment for David. In an instant, his whole life changed. In a moment, everybody knew his name. They're going, David, David, he's our man. If he can't do it, nobody can. He's trending on the internet now. Everybody wants to do interviews with David. He's on ABC, NBC, CNN, TBN, HIJK. Elemental P, the whole alphabet wants to talk to David now. Kids are re-watching the fight on YouTube. Talking about, Dad, I got to get those David sneakers. They drop next week. You know they're going to be sold out. This is a big moment for David. He's finally arrived. You understand, when he defeated Goliath, he became a rock star. Literally. Like a rock Christian jokes. I'm just trying to keep you engaged. Uh, this is a big moment for David. He's finally arrived. He's cut off the giant's head. The wicked witch is dead. The game is over. The buzzard is sounded and the fat lady has finally sung. The problem is Saul didn't like what the fat lady was singing. When the fat lady, just a group of ladies. And uh, here's what they sang. Saul has killed his thousands. David his tens of thousands. And when Saul heard that, he went from running his race like this to fixing his eyes onto David. Therefore, Saul becomes a case study of the downward spiral of what comparison will always do to your life. Because comparison is always the beginning of the end. Okay, all of that was my introduction. <laughs> I'm being so honest. Um, but just for the next few minutes, literally, I, I want to show you how Saul's speech gives us insight to how comparison always starts. Because look at what Saul said after the ladies sing their song. He goes, huh, you credit David with tens of thousands, but me with only thousands? Wait a minute. Hold up, 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 hold up. <laughs> Y'all going to credit David, little old David, with his nappy head with tens of thousands, but me with only thousands? Did you hear it? You hear how comparison starts? Comparison always starts with but me. Comparison always commences with a conjunction. He, but me. He, but me. See, Saul can't separate David's life from his life, nor can he separate David's success from his success. He immediately has to connect what's going on with David to him. He, but me. You English majors are aware of the fact that but is a conjunction. Conjunction, junction. Come on, somebody watch Schoolhouse Rock. That's what I'm talking about. What's your function? Hooking up phrases and clauses and making them sound right. That's what some people do in life. They connect everything in life back to them. I call them but me people. Have you ever met a but me person? These are people that no matter what's going on with somebody else, they will find a way to connect it back to them. I call them but me people. Have you ever met a but me person? They're like, oh, that's good for you. What about me? Don't forget about me. Hey, what about me? What, their butt keeps getting in the way. You ever met a but me person? Okay, you need a visual here at 6 p.m., so let me give you a visual. 
Like, you ever met somebody that sees everything in life through the lens of but me? These are my but me glasses. Now, if I fall off the stage at the LA, please don't laugh because I cannot see anything right now. I am completely blinded by but me. And can I tell you, nothing will blind you to who Jesus is and run your race like a but me attitude. How many know the focus of your life isn't supposed to be on you? You're supposed to fix your eyes on Jesus so you can run the race that he said before you but me people but me but me. these are the worst people to tell a success story to don't tell a but me person about your praise report you know why they can't celebrate what's going on with you without connecting it back to them you call a but me person up you be like whoo god is good yes sir i finally got a raise on my job ain't that great they'll be like yeah that's great for you but me how you gonna give him a raise god he don't even come to church i've been giving in every offering oh man but me i'm telling you but me attitude will rob you of your joy of your peace a but me attitude will take the joy out of the most celebratory moment the most celebratory moment nothing worse ooh, than a but me bridesmaid Come on, this is a wedding, people. Everybody's happy. Celine Dion is playing out in the background. White doves have been released from a cage. And there's the button me bridesmaid talking about, oh, Lord, how you going to give her a man? But you ain't giving me a man. You know how long I've been by myself, every night having a whole myself, every Valentine's Day sending roses to myself. You know how many nights I had to watch The Notebook on Netflix by myself? Oh, I'm going to throw the rice. I'm going to eat some cake. I'm just saying. I would like my man, my Boaz, today sometime. <laughs> but me will take away your joy and your peace. Somebody come to the piano to play softly because soft music plays behind the preacher. He sounds more spiritual. And uh, how, do you, uh, how do you know if you have on the but me glasses? I think there's some signs because Saul had them on. How do you know? If you can't celebrate the successes of other people, you got on the butt me glasses. If you are stingy with your compliments and you think to compliment or commend somebody else somehow takes something from you, you got on the butt me glasses. If there's anybody in your life, anybody in your life, that secretly you would find joy or happiness in their failure, that's the person you're racing, and you got on the butt me glasses. Ooh, it's quiet up in here. And hear me, can we be honest tonight? Isn't it so easy to put on the butt me glasses? Isn't it so easy? Oh, come on, I do it all the time. It's so easy to put on the butt me glasses, especially in our culture today, this culture of social media. Ooh, social media. Let me get that tomorrow. Um, <laughs> Because you got so many devices where you see what everybody has, what everybody's doing with a click of a button, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, we are constantly inundated with everybody else's life. So it's so easy to put on the butt me glasses. Come on, can you, isn't it funny how our awareness accelerates our discontentment? Can you imagine how happy you would be if you just didn't know? But you got so many devices where, you know, with a click of a button, you can put them on the butt me glasses. Come on, you were like so happy with your vacation staycation to Malibu, weren't you? Like, woo, gonna be a great staycation, y'all. We're going to Malibu. It's gonna be off the chain. Woo, can't wait. Malibu, we up in there. Till you got on Instagram and saw one of your best friends went to Maui. You're like, but me, I hate Malibu. I don't want to be here. I want to be in Maui. Come on, you were so happy with your Ford Focus, weren't you? When you got your Ford Focus, ooh, 
God, thank you for my Ford Focus. I don't got to ask anybody for a ride. God, I am thankful. Lord, I'm focused on my Ford Focus. Till you got on Facebook and saw one of your friends got a brand new Ferrari. And they don't even go to church. You're like, God, why have you forsaken me but me? So easy to put them on and hear me. I'm not hating on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or saying it's sin. I think it's awesome. I'll be on it after this service. <laughs> Sometimes I wonder, please hear my heart tonight. I wonder if the screens on our phones and our computers and our iPads have now become mirrors by which we constantly check for a reflection to see if we measure up to somebody else. And like a scene stolen from Snow White, we silently echo the words of the Wicked Witch, who, by the way, check the mirror every day just to see mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest of them all? Only today it's mirror, mirror on Facebook. Tell me how my life should look. Mirror, mirror on Instagram. Tell me who I really am. And we keep checking. Every second. Every minute. All day, every day. Eating dinner. In church. Preach, Robert. This is a good sermon right here. I just wonder what our lives would look like. We reflected on the word of God, which by the way, James calls a mirror. Wonder maybe then we could get our eyes on Jesus and run the race God has set before me. Come on, how many of you think this is your year to get on your mark instead of on their mark? Come on, to get your eyes on Jesus so you can run the race he set before you. This is your moment. Hear me, I'm done and I promise this is my for real close. Just real soft and we're going to turn up in a minute. But uh, I thought I'd just kind of share with you kind of how this whole message got started. I uh, had this op awesome opportunity in not too distant past to speak at this conference in Sydney, Australia. And uh, at the time, it was my assignment to just preach to the youth and the young adults of this conference. It was like some six or 7,000 young people that were gathering for this conference. I remember being so excited to preach at this conference. I was like, oh, yeah, mate, going to Australia, going to preach to these young people, going down under, it's going to be awesome. And in conjunction with the youth and young adults having their conference, there's also the main stage part of the conference, and, and some 30,000 people gather in an arena in Sydney for the main stage part of the conference. And the people they have preaching main stage are uh, people who are really struggling uh, to get their ministries off of the ground. People like Bishop T.D. Jakes, uh, Joel Osteen, <laughs> and Joyce Meyer. So I said, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to preach to the youth and young adults and sit in on these main stage sessions and listen to these great men and women of God preach. So I'm sitting in that arena, and my wife was there with me. My wife and I knew something that year that the other 30,000 didn't know yet. And that was just before I'd arrived to just speak to the youth and the young adults. I'd actually received an invitation to preach main stage for the conference the following year. So I'm sitting in that arena, and I'm just kind of taking everything in. And, and all of a sudden, they show the promotional video for the upcoming conference. And it's all these big names, big names, huge names, big names. Abraham Lincoln was one of the speakers they were going to have <laughs> next year. And then all of a sudden, my name comes up on the screen. And the great pastor, the great leader, great visionary of this conference, he almost had to qualify. And he said, there's one name you probably didn't recognize. It's Robert Madu. And it's his first time preaching main stage next year. And, and then he paused, paused, and goes, you know what? I think I might let you get a preview of his preaching on this stage in this arena this week. 
Now, that would have been cool if I wasn't finding out in that moment with the other 30,000 people in the arena, immediately my heart went down into my shoe. I started sweating. I see the pastor afterwards. He goes, mate, did you hear my announcement? I go, yes, I did. He goes, true story. He goes, I'm thinking tomorrow after T.D. Jakes preaches, you could get up and preach for like 10 minutes as a preview for next year's conference. He goes, what do you think about that? I went, yeah, <laughs> that'd be great. Went to the hotel room that night, true story, fell on the ground in the fetal position, tears coming down my face. I can't do this, I can't do this. Why would he tell me this now? He could have told me this 10 years ago. You ever just had one of those moments where you felt so overwhelmed? My wife's the best. She's my CEO. She's my chief encouragement officer. And uh, she's a Southern Belle from Arkansas. She's like, babe, it's okay. You can do it. You can do it. I said, no, I can't. No, I can't. Called my dad up for support. You know, my dad, uh, he's Nigerian. He, he's from Africa. Came to America uh, like Eddie Murphy in the movie. <laughs> and uh, met my mom who's American, which is why I'm African-American. And I... Uh, <laughs> Called my African dad up for some support. My dad was like, son, you can do this. Before the foundation of the earth, God knew you would be there. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You can do it. I said, no, I can't. No, I can't. 30,000 people. Before I got on that stage in that arena, I had a conversation that I often have with myself. I said, wait a minute. Who opened this door? Who opened this door? God did. Who did they ask to speak? me. It can only be me. So I got up there and for 10 minutes I was me. But when I got off the stage and I was studying this text, the Holy Spirit, I felt like, asked me a critical question. The Holy Spirit said, Robert, would you like to know the real reason why you fell on the ground in the fetal position? Tears coming down your face. thought to myself, a real reason? Uh, no. I know the real reason. There were 30,000 people in the arena. I said, no, that's not the real reason. I said, the real reason you felt that weight of intimidation it's because when you were listening to all those other names preach, you weren't listening to the word of God. You were comparing how they run their race to the way I've called you to run your race. And that's why you felt that weight of intimidation. So let that be the last time tears come down your face because you're playing the comparison game and just rest in the fact that I have given you a grace to run your race. There is a grace to run your race. Somebody needs to hear that tonight. There is a grace to run your race. So I got an announcement I'm glad to make it, Zoe. I hope Hope it don't stop me from coming back, but can I tell you, I am a horrible T.D. Jakes. I am the worst Joel Osteen you have ever seen in your life. I'm not a good Chad Beach. I'm a terrible Judah Smith. Y'all know I'm not a good Joyce Meyer, but there's one thing I know beyond a shadow of a doubt. I am the best Robert Madu you have ever seen in your life. Come on, somebody. I gotta be me, and you gotta be you. Is there anybody at 6 p.m. that's ready to get in your lane and run your race?